Well, we are continuing our study of Genesis. Oh, thanks, Chris. And um, so I have to I have to make sure I keep it straight. Like the the wait, the Torah portion is uh, in uh, Exodus, but we're teaching through Genesis. Okay, I got to keep remembering that. Uh, okay, very good. So we've come to a very interesting place. We're in chapter eighteen of uh, Genesis. And, uh, you know, last, um, last Sunday morning we had a, a brotherhood breakfast and we, talked, we were ta- had a good conversation talking about integrity, you know, and certainly we live in a world that certainly needs that, right? Uh, and what an opportunity, therefore, that we have, you know, to, uh, you know, to demonstrate that. So we talked about that in a variety of of different ways, and uh, it came to my mind as we were, as I was um, uh, studying this week, uh, chapter 18 of uh, Genesis, because we really see uh, some things about Abraham's life in this chapter. It's kind of interesting, there's several different things going on in chapter 18. There's the big picture things happening, like, you know, uh, the promise of the birth of Isaac, uh, one year from now, as they, as uh, as uh, Abraham is told, and then of course uh, the issue of the judgment of Sodom and and so on. But we also see uh, here uh, different aspects of Abraham's character, different aspects of Abraham's Abraham's life. Now, uh, chapter eighteen can be divided up, therefore, into basically two parts. And it's very interesting how it's, uh, how it's laid out. And if you've read this before, you're probably very familiar with this, right? So this is just by way of reminder. Uh, and, uh, and that is that the first part is when the three visitors come and Abraham and Sarah show this great hospitality, right? Uh, they're basically on their way to Sodom, but they stop off. Uh, and uh, and visit Abraham uh, and have this uh, meal. And it's just, frankly, interesting to observe that a lot of verses uh, are given to this meal. They could have just said, and so they had a meal, <laughs> you know. But it describes it. It goes into detail uh, about it, which is very interesting. And then, of course, Abraham is told... Uh, that uh, one year from now, Sarah will have a child. Sarah hears this. Uh, she laughs. How could this be? And then we have a great verse there. Uh, is anything too difficult for God? That verse is there on purpose, right? Okay. Uh, and then we move. The scene changes. And uh, we're now on our way to Sodom. And then Abraham has this uh, remarkable discussion with God about uh, you know, about righteous people in the land of Sodom, right? So they're two very different experiences, uh, but there's a hinge. In between them, there is a verse that helps to tie the whole thing together. And I think that we get the most out of looking at the two different stories in chapter 18 by understanding that there's this hinge, there's a verse that ties them together. And that verse is in the middle of the chapter. You have on one end, the, the first, the story of the hospitality of, you know, Abraham and Sarah and 
the uh, interaction that they have with the three men. Of course, the Lord is, is in their midst there, right? And then you have the, uh, the remarkable conversation with Abraham and God regarding Sodom. And so in between is verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 18. Okay? For I have chosen him. Okay, the Lord is speaking. He's talking about Abraham. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Okay? Now, I guess I should have read uh, verses 17 and 18 because when it says that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him is in verse 17 and 18, he says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth shall be uh, shall be blessed. Okay, so verse 19. Uh, first of all, I, in the translation that I have, it's just English, right? Okay. Uh, for I have chosen him. Actually, a better translation would be I have known him. I have known him, right? Some of you have that in your translations, right? I have known him, because that's actually what it is. Ki yidativ. So, um, I, every other place that I can think of, I'm sure there's an exception, but just about every other place where the word chosen is in English, it's a different word, which means to choose. But this word means to know. I have known him. I have known him. So, it speaks of the intimacy that God has with Abraham. But it's also, I would suggest, in the context of the covenant, of covenant relationship. It's like God said, I am in covenant relationship with Abraham. I know him. We, we are intimate. He is close to me, right? I, and, I, and so that just in and of itself, I think, is, it says something about the relationship between God and Abraham. Not just I chose him, like I, like I just I chose him or I picked him. No, I've known him. That's why I'm not going to keep it a secret from him what I'm going to do, all right? I've known him. But, he says, I know him in order that, okay, in order that he may command his children and his household after him. So it's not just about Abraham. It's not just about the life of Abraham that he might inculcate to his children and his household, to the sons of Israel, Remember, you, we still don't have uh, Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons yet, right? Uh, and, and so that he may inculcate to his children and his grandchildren something in particular. Not just the promises that I'm making. Not just, wow, you're really special people or anything like that. But look what it says. To keep the way of the Lord. To keep the way of the Lord. Derech Adonai, great phrase there. Derech Adonai, the way of the Lord. Way means road, right? Uh, way means road, the, the path, the journey, you know. Uh, that's what it's um, uh, alluding to, that, that kind of uh, picture. The way of the Lord. I think that's a great little phrase because it doesn't just say to keep the law of Moses. There was no Moses yet. 
or to keep my commands and my statutes, but to keep my way, okay? That includes a lot of different things that we'll, we'll mention in a little while, okay? But then he says, by doing righteousness and justice, by doing righteousness and justice, right? So, of course, involved in this is Abraham being faithful to God. You could say, in general, the way of the Lord is being faithful to the Lord, being faithful to God. And faithful and faithfulness are basically the same thing, uh, two sides of the same coin. And so, we read earlier in chapter 15, Abraham believed God and the Lord reckoned it unto him as righteousness, right? Uh, but here we see by doing righteousness and justice. Righteousness, doing the right things, doing right things. And of course, this is all in the context of covenant relationship. So, obedience, uh, uh, walking with God, you know, doing what is right, and then justice. What's interesting about mishpatim, that's the word for justice, mishpat, to be just, right? Okay, is that that's what the commands are called in Exodus chapter 20 to 23. Now, you can read all that. You can read that on your own. We don't have time to read those passages. But in Exodus chapter 20 to 23, those laws are all about human relationships. They're almost all, almost all. Some of them have to do with how, you, how they relate to God but almost all of them about how you treat people in varieties of situations and men and women and slaves and others and, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, so therefore, many have come to the conclusion that the, uh, the specifics of mishpatim are, you know, they are laws, yes, but they have much more to do with social interaction, you know, with, uh, with other, other people. So that's kind of, uh, 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 kind of interesting. All right? All right. So uh, we see here that uh, God says, I have known him that he may command his children and his household after him, generations after him, to keep Derech Adonai, the way of the Lord, by doing righteousness and justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So Abraham is going to change the world by teaching his children the way of the Lord, that they may live that way and inculcate that indeed, uh, inculcate that indeed uh, to, uh, to others. So it's interesting that that verse is right in between the first part and the second part of, uh, of, the, uh, of the chapter. Okay? All right. So now when we go back and we look at the first part of, uh, of the chapter, okay, we see now this story of uh, this hospitality and, and so on. So it says, The Lord appeared to him, the Lord appeared to Abram, by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the uh, tent door in the heat of the day. And when he looked up, or when he lifted up his eyes, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. 
Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under, under the tree. So clearly, Abraham recognizes that these are not just uh, three strangers coming by, right? If, you, if I have found favor, you know, this is the way that uh, he uh, indeed speaks to the Lord. And we read in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. So it's fascinating, just in and of itself, it's fascinating that here you have this great example of God manifesting himself and appearing to Abram. The Lord appeared to him. And we read later on here, the Lord speaks to him. And sometimes, and we won't take the time to look at it now, in these different verses, sometimes, and you can tell because of the Hebrew, that uh, um, Abraham is speaking only to one person, and there's a few times when he's speaking to all the people. Uh, you, we can't always tell that in, in English, but we can tell that in, you know, in, uh, in Hebrew. So it's very interesting that clearly Abraham sees there is something special about the three of these people, and certainly one of them. And later on in the text, he is identified as the Lord. And in your Bible, in English, right, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Other times, it's small O-R-D, meaning he's literally saying master, you know, uh, or, or you know, Adonai, or Adoni, my, my master, whatever. All right, so uh, as, it, as he says in verse 3, you know, my Lord, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. So then we see this description of the hospitality that uh, Abram and Sarah show these men. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go in since you have visited your servant. And they said, do so as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour kneaded and make bread cakes. That's a tall order on a short notice, I would imagine. One can only wonder about their personal interaction uh, for a few moments there. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared, right? Because it's hot and all that, you know. Uh, and placed it before them, and he was standing by under the tree as they ate. So this is one of those moments, not only do we see that God uh, uh, reveals himself, uh, manifests himself, right, uh, in uh, human form, in time and in space, uh, but we see that there's a meal involved. There's a meal involved. Now, you know, uh, we're not sure, did they all eat, or, or did Abraham just watch? Uh, it says he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. You know, uh, we're not quite sure there, but a meal is involved. And as you know, you know, uh, when we come to these meals in the Bible, they're, they're always important. They're always important, these meals where God is present, Right? We have alluded to that when we have Messiah's table, you know, having a meal in the presence of God. We see it in, uh, later on in Exodus chapter 24, 
Uh, we see it uh, as a, we see the, the showbread, the bread of the presence of God that, that the priests eat, and that's significance. We see it in, uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 25 uh, when we see this end time meal that the nations join in with Israel, when it says there will be no more death and no more tears and all that in Isaiah chapter 25. And then, of course, at the, uh, uh, in the, at the end of uh, uh, the revelation of John, uh, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're all very significant covenantal meals. And so here, uh, these men come and there is, a, there is a meal which engenders fellowship. There's fellowship. There's, you know, it kind of helps us in understanding this word, yada, when he's, you know, I have, I have known him. You know, it tells us about the uniqueness of this relationship with Abraham and how Abraham responds to them with this uh, great hospitality, this great uh, kindness. Abraham certainly uh, uh, exhibited faith here and trust uh, of, uh, of God, even though he was still waiting, still waiting for that child of promise. Because remember, in chapter 17... Just before this, at least in our text, just before this, we don't know exactly exactly how much time evolved in between chapter 17 and 18. But in chapter 17, Abram is made quite aware that uh, he is going to have a child by Sarah, right? And that's where he finds it incre- in, he, he's incredulous about it. He's, it it's, it's too much to take, and so he laughs, right? right? Uh, and so here now we see... Uh, this you know great faith demonstrated by Abraham, hospitality, kindness, sharing, lots of marvelous attributes, you know that are uh, that um, uh, really are um, outstanding, right? But then they say something. They don't just eat and leave, right? They say, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" So it's interesting. Of course, they know who Sarah is. Okay, so the, again. These are not strangers. They know who she is. Okay? Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Okay? So you notice even here, you can, it's, you can even see it in English. They said to him, then he said. See, it kind of goes back and forth. I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him, okay? Now, we're reminded again of something very important in verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. See, when we read this, we need to remember that, okay? There's always, you know, we're so used to these passages that sometimes we just read them and, oh, there you go. They had the meal. God, God identif- you know, uh, manifested himself and said next year Sarah's going to have a baby. Next. You know? But no. When we read it, we need to pay careful attention. Uh, that Remember, they were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Remember, this is impossible. Okay? Remember that. Okay. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become ho- old... Shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Okay. So the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, 
Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Again, this is not just a conversation between them, but we need to get that. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. She's not denying it as denying that she may have a son. She's denying that she left. She says, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Okay. So, they come, they have this meal, they have this fellowship. Abraham is so inviting uh, of them, uh, uh, showing them this, um, uh, this wonderful hospitality, right? Uh, and uh, they say that next year, at this time, next year, Sarah's going to have the child. Sarah hears it, right? It's incredible. And she laughs. Now, you know, if I was Sarah, I probably would have the same kind of reaction. Like, this is incredible. It is so easy for us to be armchair patriarchs, you know, uh, to look back and say, oh, she didn't trust in God. No, this was unbelievable. For those of you that may be past childbearing age, I've noticed my eyes are all over the room. Imagine if you got that message, right? Whoa, whoa. You know, that doesn't have to do with faith. It's incredible. Also, it says, the text tells us, she was afraid. She laughed because she was afraid. You know, it reminds me, when I read this, it reminds me of a story about a beloved, dear, old friend of ours that is with the Lord, Mike Lerman, okay? So later in life, he uh, got married, and I had the privilege of officiating at his wedding. So, you know, we, we had the rehearsal and did the whole thing, you know, and uh, just before the actual ceremony, he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes when I get nervous, I laugh, like I giggle when I get nervous. So this was like right before the, uh, the ceremony. So, of course, my, my great wise words to him was, don't get nervous. <laughs> okay? So uh, walk, they walked down the aisle. I can see it to this day. I'm standing there. Here he is. Here she is. And he starts laughing. He starts laughing and he can't stop laughing. You know? Now, it wasn't like he, he was like laughing at me or laughing at her or laughing at being married. This was a reaction that he had because he was nervous. So it all worked out, and we kind of tried to cover it up a little bit. I don't know if you, were, if you remember that, right? If you were there, some of you were there, right? So anyway, it kind of reminds me of him. So she laughed, all right? And, uh, and, and of course, the Lord says, why did you laugh? I'm just going to suggest that he's not mad at Sarah, okay? But that he's making a point. He's making a point. And it's quite clear right in the text that he's making the point, right? Because he says, I, uh, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? He's bringing that out. You know, it's a rhetorical question. Nothing is too difficult for uh, for the Lord. Now, you know, uh, this whole little section here is not missed in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant. All right? Turn with me for a moment 
to the book of Romans in the New Covenant, in the fourth chapter. You know, uh, Paul was very smart, that he's trying to make a point, you know, about, uh, about faith and about trust. And of course, everything is couched from the beginning of this is what the prophets had, had spoken, right, from the Tanakh. So he takes two heroes and demonstrates faithfulness through these two heroes. Who are the two heroes? Abraham and David, right? So here, regarding Abraham, in chapter 4, okay, he's demonstrating this issue of faith and that this is not some new concept, you know, that faith or trust in the Lord, this is not something new. This is, it's not like, uh, oh, they, they, they did works to be saved uh, in uh, the Old Testament and now it's grace in the new, Right? That is not the case, right? If you don't get anything else, that's not the case. So here he's demonstrating, uh, Paul is demonstrating that the life of Abraham, Abraham demonstrated faith, faith, faithfulness, faith, okay? But what he believed and how he lived. So he talks about the promise in verse 13. He says, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of of faith, okay? For of those who are of law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified, okay? By the law brings about wrath, but uh, where there is no law, neither is there violation, okay? Now, he's talking about something far greater that we don't have time to take apart here, but I'm just going to suggest to us that you know all those passages in Genesis where the old shall serve the younger, I, I uh, certainly with, uh, uh, you have it with Jacob and Esau, you have it with Isaac and Ishmael, uh, you have it um, with the two sons of Joseph when Jacob, <laughs> right, crosses his uh, hands there. I would suggest that what's being demonstrated or shown to us in Genesis there, that it's not according to natural selection. In other words, the older... The younger should serve the older. That's according to the, you know, that's according to how it's supposed to be, or by we could almost say by law or by nature. But what God is demonstrating there that it's no, it's according to His grace and His mercy and His sovereign will. So I think that that kind of reminds me of that when He says this here. Okay, I, uh, in other words, it's not legislated, even though He may, He's speaking about a much bigger topic than, than that. But then we see, for this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all Jews and Gentiles, right? As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So he's saying it is all by the, the promise of God, not by legal, uh, you know, uh, legal edict, not by nature. It is all by grace uh, and uh, you know, uh, demonstrated by God choosing the younger over the, you know, over the older there. But now, here... When he talks about Abraham believed, 
He's now going to accentuate how it is that Abraham believed. This was no small task. He says in verse 18, in hope against hope, or against all hope, we might say, he believed. It wasn't I, 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 Abraham simply uh, believed that, uh, okay, he and Sarah are going to have a child. And we see that demonstrated, we see that described to us in chapter 17 and 18 of, uh, of Genesis. That they were old. There's no way that this can happen. It's laughable. And that's how Isaac gets his name, by the way. Right? Okay, so in hope against hope he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. In other words, given the circumstances, looking at himself, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, no way. But you see, God had made a promise. And so he trusted in the promise of God. As it says in verse 20, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver. But you know, that's actually a passive. He was made, he was made not to waver. It wasn't that he mustered it up. Very important. He did not muster up the faith. Like he didn't say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Okay, I believe. No. God was at work in his life. He saw his circumstances, but his faith had been cultivated and God had infused him with life. And so we could say he, he, was, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. The opposite of what we might expect. He grew strong in faith. The odds were so much against him that in his trust, unwavering trust in the promise of God, it caused him to be strengthened in his faith. God strengthened him in his faith. God caused him not to waver in unbelief. God caused him to grow strong in the midst of these, uh, in the midst of these uh, circumstances. Very important here. All right? So, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, also, we read, he, he throws in here uh, chapter 15 in verse 6. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then he says, now, not for his sake was it, uh, only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Yeshua our Lord from the dead. Right? I, and so we see here this tremendous faith and faithfulness demonstrated by Abraham in the way that he treated those three men, the fact that uh, you know, they came and what they said. Uh, and then we see here is nothing impossible uh, uh, for God. Okay. So now, when we look at this story in uh, the beginning of chapter 18, and we think about everything we've said, and then we relate that to verse 19, okay, because that's very important that we do that, back in Genesis, right? 
For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abram all that he has spoken about him. We see in this first part that Abraham demonstrates a certain kind of uh, integrity, a certain kind of, uh, of uh, character. Now, we'll see it in the second part, too, in the second part also, okay, which we may touch on uh, uh, a little bit here. Actually, I'm going to point out some things. It'll, it'll help, it'll, uh, uh, but I won't go over time. Okay. Uh, in the second half, in the story in the second half, when we see that now uh, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly great, we have a, a whole new story. It's like a whole new episode, a whole new thing happening. But uh, it's important for us to see Abraham comes near, right? And this is where he's going to ask God, are you going to sweep away the, you know, the innocent with the guilty, the righteous from the wicked? And then he, you know, suppose there are 50 within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? There are two great rhetorical questions, one in the first part and one in the second part. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Two great statements, rhetorical statements, uh, about God that uh, we have in this context of, uh, of Abraham. All right. So the reason I uh, I mention I mention this uh, this uh, part here is that what what we see in all of chapter eighteen is that Abraham is demonstrating a particular kind of integrity. Okay. So it's interesting that um, I, I as I was reading this, I was thinking, like I said earlier, about what we were talking about in our. Um, men's breakfast last week, and then also, as it turns out, I'm teaching at uh, uh, an inner city uh, congregation uh, called Gospel Lighthouse, which I've done for many, 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 many years, and I'm teaching a class on, they call it the character of God, the character of a person, okay? Uh, and uh, and the, the reason that uh, uh, Jerry Fryer asked me to teach it, because he wanted me to teach it from the point of view of the Torah, you know, and then leading to the New Covenant, as we do here at Beth Messiah, right? But anyway, so I, I use a particular book in the, in the course, and uh, it's called, I mentioned it actually last uh, Sunday also, it's called After You Believe by, uh, by N.T. Wright, okay? And uh, it's very interesting. He, he, it's, it's, it's not an easy read, but it's really very good. Uh, and basically, he talks about virtue, character, and integrity. All right? And what we see here is, uh, first of all, uh, when he talks about virtues, when N.T. Wright talks about virtues, good things about us, good qualities, right? He, he talks about, you know, there are general virtues, and then there are biblical virtues, the general virtues would be things like courage, uh, determination, restraint, right, and good judgment, right? That'd be true. Uh, what we would say about anyone, right? 
The particular virtues, we might say, that are biblical are things like faith, hope, love, uh, and then uh, the list of what we read about the, like the fruit of the Spirit, you know, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, self-control, things like these. It's not a complete list, as those things never are, right? But those are our are, are virtues. Uh, character, we would say, uh, is, you might say, the, the, the expression of all of that, the choices that we make, you know? And so I came up with my own, uh, taking uh, these kinds of things, I came up with my own little definition of uh, character, uh, a way of life motivated by godliness with an outward demonstration of ethical and moral choices that reflects the life of God as depicted in the scriptures, you know? And so these virtues are like the backdrop of character. You know, uh, you can't just do, do, the, do the word of God and have good character. You know, you, you can't just you know, like, like check, check them off the list. Okay, okay, I did this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Okay, I'm a person of, of good character, right? There has to be something more. There has to be something more uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the interior, right? So he uses an example. Uh, it's a great, uh, there's a, he uses a number of examples. But this one example is of the, um, the flight that uh, goes into the Hudson River and doesn't crash. You know that, right? Right, when uh, the flight took off from New York, uh, the engines conk out, and in just split seconds, the uh, captain, the pilot, has to decide what to do, uh, and the plane lands just right in the Hudson River, and everybody lives. It's unbelievable, right? So what he says is, first of all, uh, he knew what he was supposed to do, because he had studied it and learned it and went over it over and over and over again for, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, right? So he, was, so he knew it. He didn't have to look it up or think, well, how do I do this control or that? He, was, uh, he knew it, right? It was inside of him. It was, you know. But then he said, but there was something else. What if he melted like butter under the pressure? What if he knew everything that there was to do but couldn't? Do it in the moment. See? So that's why he talks about the you know, courage and judgment and restraint and, and things like that. Uh, now, we would say as believers, as Messiah followers, we would so say, yes, those things come with our assurance of knowing the Lord, and, and that's how character gets built, right? In addition to, uh, uh, most definitely, trusting in God, faith, our, our hope, our trust, uh, love, being motivated by love and being filled with the Ruach, being filled with the Spirit and being motivated. That's why I wrote motivated by godliness. That's sort of like this huge category. Motivated by godliness are these virtues that, um, that we uh, live by, by, by who we are. And so our character then is seen by the way all that works out, by the way we live in the Derech Adonai, the way of the Lord, not just checking things off of a list. And so we could say that we have a little equation. Again, this is what I got, not from this book, but I'm, I'm saying this is how I, uh, I kind of put it in the cauldron and stir it up and come out with an equation. And the equation is virtue plus character equals integrity. That what we are on the inside, one, one might say, 
and how we demonstrate that in our moral and ethical choices equals integrity. And the word integrity is a big word in the Bible, in the, in the Tanakh, okay? Uh, it's, uh, it's in a lot of places. You can look them up. And basically, it's the word tom, and it means the same as blameless. Being blameless doesn't mean perfect. <laughs> Definitely doesn't mean perfect, okay? But, but blameless in the sense of uh, one who is who they are on the inside and the outside. And then uh, Wright uses other illustrations to demonstrate the, the, you know, what's inside and outside. But I think we get the point, right? What's on the inside is demonstrated by what's on the outside. Uh, and, uh, uh, and what's on the outside is also demonstrated by what's on the inside. So there's an integration of our lives, right? And what we were talking about uh, last Sunday was kind of in light of the men and women issues in our culture. And, uh, and what it means to be men of integrity and what a great opportunity we have to, uh, you know, to demonstrate that. And uh, we talked about the culture and separating the culture from what the scripture says and all of that. Right? So as we look at the life of Abraham, we see here a man who had virtue and a character. He demonstrated faith, hope, and love. He demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit. And now this is not the only place where we'll see it, but we do see it here where he, uh, first of all, he shows great uh, faith and trust in God in, uh, in honoring the, the men as they come and, you know, through the hospitality, right? And then we see at the end of the chapter, he's not just like, you know, have more, eat more. You know, how wonderful it is that, that you've come. Now he's like challenging, challenging the Lord under a different set of circumstances. He now is saying, Lord, you will do right. So, so how will this be? How will this indeed work out? So he is definitely demonstrating these, these biblical virtues, plus we might say these other general virtues. And it works out in the choices that he makes and how he approaches God and how he, and his care for the, uh, you know, for the righteous people of Sodom and so on. But I will say that we also see it worked out. This is all building up to something, isn't it? And that, that something is in chapter 22. When he walks up that mountain with Isaac, he is demonstrating real integrity. He doesn't understand exactly what God is doing, but he knows from who he is inwardly and the choices that he makes, that he is this great man of faith, this man of God. And that is why Paul uses him, of course, as the example. And that is why in Judaism, uh, Abraham is, uh, you know, lauded as this great uh, man of integrity and of faith. And so it certainly uh, speaks to us. The challenge for us is that we may walk in the way of the derech Adonai. This is what the way of the Lord is. These virtues, character, integrity, you know, uh, not just uh, some kind of legalistic obedience and not just shooting from the hip. You know, I, I feel this. But when we know the Lord, we will be led by the Ruach. But in addition, we have the Word of God, which shows us how to make the right choices, right? 
uh, when it comes to everything from forgiveness to not stealing or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be uh, is included in the way of the Lord. And uh, so Abraham demonstrates that for us here in the way that he approaches the men by how he believes the promise and his concern for the people of Sodom. So we'll continue with the second part of, of uh, the chapter in a little bit more detail uh, next time. But may we begin the year by, by remembering that God has known us in Messiah Yeshua. God has known us, right? He knows everything about us. He knows where, we'll, where we're strong. He knows where, where we are vulnerable. He loves us. He does not forsake us. He has cho- chosen us. He has known us that we may that we may inculcate or demonstrate to our children and households and all the people around us the derech Adonai by doing righteousness and justice so that we may be able to advance what God is doing indeed in this uh, in this world. Let's pray, Lord uh, God. We uh, we thank you, Lord, that we see here in the life of Abraham. Really, you know, the life of a Messiah follower. Thank you, Lord, that uh, Abraham believed you and you reckoned unto him his righteousness, that that we are called to believe you, embrace you. And Lord, thank you that you forgive our sins and uh, you reckon it unto us as, as righteousness. As Paul said, it was written for our benefit as well. And thank you, Lord, that um, may, may we be convinced and know for sure that Yeshua was indeed raised from the dead. Lord, and uh, God, thank you for the hope and the trust that we have in you. Lord, though, though may we be sure to know what you have promised and what you haven't promised. You have indeed promised us life forever with you. You've promised us a new heaven and a new earth. You've promised us the forgiveness of our sins. You've promised us adoption. You know, you've, you've promised us uh, a holiness, Lord, Lord. But in the meantime, until all that comes to pass, you promised us uh, to be raised from the dead as well, resurrection. But until that comes to pass, Lord, thank you that you have promised us that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That uh, God, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how difficult life may be, Lord, you are always there to comfort us, to guide us, and to lead us, and to navigate us through this life. God, we thank you for that. We pray in Yeshua's name.